This podcast is part of the Everyday Heroes Podcast Network, the network for first responders and those who support them. There's tons of officers that are struggling, and plus the culture of the department that I came from, and I think in policing, it's a culture of silence. People suffer in silence. Yeah. And they don't trust the departments, right? Welcome to the Off-Duty Podcast, the podcast where we interview the men and women of law enforcement and help you to learn about the person behind the badge. If this is your first time tuning in, thank you. My name is Anthony McNeil, retired police officer and your host. Let's get started. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode number 36 of the Off-Duty Podcast. Once again, it's me, your boy, Anthony McNeil. As always, I appreciate you tuning in and listening to the podcast. Before I introduce my guest here, I just want to get into some quick housekeeping um, items. First, I appreciate you guys listening to the podcast. So please, whatever platform you're listening on, can you please subscribe? The more you subscribe, the more it helps the podcast. Also, at the beginning of the podcast, you heard that we are now part of the Everyday Heroes Podcast Network, which is a podcast network that I started. And the gentleman that's going to be joining me here today, his podcast is now officially a member of the Everyday Heroes Podcast Network. And I'm going to get into all that stuff with him in a minute here. Also, if you have not heard, every Monday, I give out a free vacation voucher to one random person. All you have to do is text off duty to 833-989-3124. That's off duty to 833-989-3124. You only have to enter once. There are over 25 locations throughout the United States that you can choose from. Places such as Vegas, Orlando, Atlanta, Chicago, you name it. It's your choice. Just text off duty to 833-989-3124. All right, so let's go ahead and get into this episode. The gentleman I have joining me today, he's from the state of Virginia. He's a retired PO, served 20 years in Northern Virginia. He's also the founder of the nonprofit organization called Better Blue. He's the host of the Brownie and Blue podcast, as I said, which is now officially part of the Everyday Heroes podcast network. Please help me welcome Mr. Merritt M.C. Cassell. Merritt, what's going on, man? What's going on, Tony? Thank you for uh, having me on. And as always, I'm honored, man. Yeah, man. I appreciate you jumping on and, and kicking it with me. I've had a chance to go on, on Merritt's podcast. So, you know, make sure you go over and check that that episode out. And it was the very first podcast that I had a chance to be a, a guest on. And it was a lot of fun. Merritt has a fantastic podcast. So I encourage you guys to go check it out. I'm going to put a link to it down in the show notes. But Merritt, before we get into all of that, I have to ask you the first question, man. Why law enforcement? Oh, man. Why law enforcement? That's a good question, especially this day and age, right? Why? (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's crazy. So back when back when I was in college, I figured out that I did not want to be in business. I wasn't a guy who was going to be happy with going to a cubicle, having a boss that was pretty much down the office. And I had to figure out what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother, who's a retired law enforcement for the same agency that I was in, 
she would always tell me, it was almost like subliminal messages. You'd be a great officer. You'd be a great officer. And so once I got pretty much to the end of my, uh, my college career, I just started thinking more long-term. I started thinking big picture. I started thinking all about all these things, retirement, you know, some type of security in that aspect. And then thinking about, well, what if I have a family and man, at 21 years old, I started thinking about that because it became real. Yeah. And my dreams of going to play overseas and basketball and stuff like that started to dwindle away. And that that's when I really started looking at law enforcement and, I actually didn't do any ride-alongs. I grew up in a family where my mother, you know, pretty much had me in a cruiser since I was, since she adopted me mm -hmm. and I was just kind of aware of it. And so I've realized that I, it's a perfect profession because it was, you know, kind of autonomous and you only saw your boss when you needed to, right? <laughs> you know, right. you only saw your boss when you had to go to roll call or if you had to, you know, notify them of something. And you got to work out. So my department, they gave a wellness program and you could work out an hour and 15 minutes prior to the shift, or you could work out uh, an hour and 15 at the end of your shift. And to me, that was very attractive. It was very attractive. So I was getting to work out, you know, I was autonomous. I was in a cruiser, so I could get out whenever I wanted. I could interact with whoever I wanted. And all those things were very attractive. And then at at the same time, I looked at it from a security standpoint. The department that I came from had an incredible, still do, ha, has a very good benefits package when it comes to retirement and all this other stuff. So mm -hmm. I put all that together and I said, let's go, you know, let's do it. Yeah. You what? know what? It's a funny story. When I was in college, so I finished up, I had two credits to go or no, two classes to go and I got accepted into the academy. Part of my background investigation, the actual uh, detective who did it had to come to my dorm room where it was like, you know, it was like Animal House coming to the <laughs> dorm room. And I had no clue, right? I, I, was, I was this young kid. You know, she came on like a Saturday morning too. We were all in like boxers. We just got done partying the night before, you know, probably hung over. She wanted to see the real no, It was crazy, man. <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah she knew she, she knew she what she was doing it was pretty funny yeah but uh but and i hate to say this but and it was true she came and knocked on the door i never met her before and tony i was blown away because i was like holy crap this woman's beautiful <laughs> i was like i was like good lord you're catching me up my worst here lady and she's got you know she just looked good. I was just like, damn, okay. So anyways, it was, that, that was a pretty funny story and how everything happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wait, she's still at the department when you got there? She was. And you know what? She's actually with a school system or no, with a private school. And we actually trained together because now I do uh, security for uh, a very big uh, school system here okay. in Northern Virginia. And we had a training together. And we actually saw each other. And I always, I always tell her that story because every time I see her, I'm like, I'm like, you saw me in my boxers. I was almost like butt naked. You're sitting there knocking at the door. I'm trying to rush around. And, uh, but yeah, man, she, she's <laughs> a crazy. very, she was awesome, man. She was awesome. Yeah. Back up in that story for a second. Now you said something that I didn't know. You played college ball. I did. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man. I played basketball. Most people, you know, for those listeners, this uh, six foot five eleven 
uh, depending on the shoes that I'm wearing that day. <laughs> this, you know, this Latin kid from uh, El Salvador, and most people are like, oh, you must have played college soccer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, no. Yeah, right? <laughs> and you just play, even my stature and stuff, they either say, say again? What position did you play? I played a uh, point guard and shooting guard. Really? Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you had admirations of going yeah, overseas, huh? I did. I did. I uh, I went to a junior college. I had a full ride to a junior college. I played against um, a lot of Division One talent. I even played against Steve Francis my sophomore year when Steve Stevie, as they used to call him, Stevie Franchise went to. Yeah. He went to Allegheny Community College. Okay. And he transferred in from this junior college in Texas. And so when he came to Allegheny, man, it was like, you know, when we played them, it was crazy because he had Gary Williams and all these college coaches in the stands. And I remember playing against him. He, we, you know how the tip off circle is. Mm -hmm. I went up and walked up next to him and we, so I had to guard him and he had to guard me. And so he looked at me and he said to me, he said, yo, he said, do your thing because I'm going to get mine. <laughs> so I was just like, okay. And I, I really didn't know who he, I, I didn't know his like whole history. I was just like, okay. And uh, man, I, I looked at his legs and his calf muscles and they were like tree trunks. The opening tip of that play was a alley-oop. They tipped it to a, to another player. He ran around and he just, like literally from half court, they threw an alley-oop to him to open the game. And that was that. I mean, that was my introduction to who Stevie franchise was. <laughs> that story of him uh, making that comment to you reminded, reminded me of something. I played uh, football at a junior college here in Michigan. And my first game, we played a school in Chicago called College of the Page. And I'll never forget, I'm only 5'7". At the time, I was maybe 170, and I played running back. And I'll never forget <laughs> walking out to, on the field. They had a defensive end that was about 6'5", about 280, 290. And he looks at me, and he goes, I'm going to crush your little ass. <laughs> <laughs> what do you never, say to that? I, mean, I, I didn't say a word, dude. I mean, you know, it was my very first game, and I get in the game. The first play was a sweep to me, and I was so nervous, I didn't even hear the play. And the quarterback realized <laughs> that as we're breaking the huddle, and he just motions behind his back, go this way, and – the whole defense saw it. So <laughs> so I caught the ball in a helmet at the same time. <laughs> That's crazy. But but you did it though, but you was 170. Yeah, yeah, man. I was I was 170 pounds and it was crazy. But I I ended up having a good game. I think I ended up rushing for 84 yards that game. It was a, it was a good game. Real quick, uh I want to ask you, once you initially got started in the profession, even though your mom was a was an officer, once you got started, was the profession what you thought it would be? No, it was not. You know, I was young, stupid. You know, as they say, for for us males, you know, when you're young, dumb, and full of cum, right? Like you just, <laughs> you're just, <laughs> you, you you have no clue. You know, I'm sitting there watching shows, and obviously, cops was big back then, and. You know, I just used to watch that stuff. And my mom would always watch these cop shows, whether it was SVU or whatever it is, you mm -hmm. know, and I would just kind of watch in the periphery. 
So I have really no clue what the job was about. Once I got on the job, though, I realized how, honestly, how there's a lot of waiting for the job. I, I, I didn't realize how, and I guess it depends, right? Like my department was right next to DC. It was, it was busy depending on the areas you were in. And it would be real slow depending on where you were at too. The county that I was in is one of the richest counties in the nation. Okay. And they hide a lot of the pockets of whether it's Section 8 housing or low-income housing, as they call it, you know, in different ways. And but, but regardless, you had everything from robberies, you know, murders, all that stuff, gangs, everything. But And it's a huge department in that sense from a county standpoint. Mm-hmm. I think uh, 1,500 sworn officers. Wow. But I, I didn't realize how boring it could get. And that that kind of made me think, like, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I'd be like, what am I doing, you know? How long did it take you to get over that feeling? Oh, man. Every time you had a uh, car pursuit, a uh, foot pursuit, uh, times you, you know, had to really do policing, that's when I got over those feelings. Okay. You know, I had to realize, like, there's a... You know, it, it's an ebb and flow, right? Like you can't make people commit crimes. You can't, but they're going to do it. And and a lot of the job is report taking, right? A lot of the job is making sure that you're putting stuff down on paper, whether it's a subject stop and, mm-hmm. you know, how those things kind of trickle up to whatever. And it's just a lot of connecting the dots, which in a sense was great because you can hone your craft of whatever it is that you want to do. And make a difference in that aspect from the street to then, you know, you can go to all types of other sections, whether it's narcotics, you know, gangs, uh, become a homicide detective, robbery detective, all these different things, canine unit, SWAT team, jump out, all all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And so all those things, like the proactiveness of the job started becoming very appealing to me once I was there. And once I was... Because I don't think what people realize, Tony, is that once you get on the job, you're not, you are so green in how to apply the Fourth Amendment. Yeah. And that's your job yeah. is to know that, right? You need to know the warrantless searches and seizures of the job. You need to know how and what you can do when you deal with people. And not only that, but you also need to be able to apply a lot of different aspects of your personality. And I had a partner who said to me one time and he was just like, he was like, Merritt, you get more, you get more bees with honey. Yeah. And there's a lot of cops out here that are walking around, you know, acting as if like it's a contempt of cop. And it's like, (laughs) all you're doing is, is, is disengaging from the community. Right. right? So yeah, you know, that, that was not to belabor the point of what your question was, but that, you know, initially I was bored. And then at some point, once I started understanding the job, understanding what my powers were and how to, in a sense, not to wield it because I wasn't wielding it, but mm-hmm. in a sense on how to apply it, how to benefit not only the community by using that, but also benefit myself because the more knowledgeable you are about, you know, different, you know, different cases, different case laws, and then, and then looking into those things and then how it applies to what you can do. And then you can, in a sense, go into court and then you can even talk to your superiors and tell them because a lot of superiors don't even know, Right? you know, they wouldn't even know certain questions, you know? So once I really honed in on all that stuff, I was, man, I was all in. Yeah. You know, I was all in. Yeah. And you, when did you retire? 
uh, December of 2019. So okay. not too long, not too ago. long ago. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Now I want to, uh, switch up for a second. Better blue. Can you, can you tell me a little bit about that? Uh, man, that's a, it's a passion. Better blue is a nonprofit and I'll say this, it's a pending nonprofit based on the fact that the IRS allows you to say that it's a pending nonprofit. Once it's, you know, the application, everything has, has gone through. It's just a matter of them, you know, giving my number and all that okay. but to, to state what better blue is better blue. The way that I came up with that is just going through my own individual stuff with the department, realizing that there's a huge, huge, huge gap in what true peer support is versus what departments offer, depending on where you are. My experience, I can only speak from that. My experience is that peer support was just there almost as if it's like to cover the department to say that this is the program they have. Yeah. Now, when it came to the actual program, did they really care about the officer that was either on admin leave or, you know, for whatever reasons, it could have been an on-duty shooting. It could have been, you know, something, uh, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And what I realized is that peer support really only comes when there's like a, it, it befits the image of the department. Yeah. And it doesn't really attack, it doesn't really attack or go and help the officers that are, that are going through a lot of stuff that could possibly be catalyst for why they're, you know, acting out on the street, why they're, you know, the mental health aspect of peer support was not there. Yeah. And, you know, so when I'd retired, I started thinking I need to be able to reach out because I went through my dark place and nobody was there. And so I started thinking about a lot of the things that I would want for myself. Mm-hmm. And there has to be other officers, especially with what's going on the past couple of years. There's tons of officers that are struggling. And plus the culture of the department that I came from, and I think in policing, it's a culture of silence. People suffer in silence. Yeah. And they don't trust the departments, right? They don't trust leaders and they don't trust certain programs because they feel everything's going to be leaked or they're going to become the problem. And a lot of that is true. Mm -hmm. So better blue, a safe space. It's a, it's a program. It's pretty much what I did is I got other officers involved and one of them's a SWAT guy who I talk to almost daily. And I have a licensed clinical therapist who's part of the group. And right now we're doing zoom calls on Thursday nights at seven o'clock. And anybody, any first responder can join. And that Zoom call is a group therapy type session where everybody shares if they want to. And once they share, they can ask for feedback. And, you know, based on what I've not only researched, but gone through myself is that uh, group therapy and group settings like that actually foster uh, a lot of healing for people because you hear other stories and you realize you're not alone. Mm -hmm. And then once you realize you're not alone, you're able to, in a sense, kind of ascend up when the group goes up in the sense of mood or whatever, then you, for whatever reason, because of that feel and what's going on in that group, you start to feel better about not only yourself, but then you start to reach out and then you can pick up other people. So, you know, that's just the basic stuff. And then uh, my ultimate mission is to pay for officers that need trauma help that either suffer from PTSD, suffer from addictions, 
which is rarely ever talked about in law enforcement and that suffer from, you know, just even possible behavioral stuff and are going through struggle and they need to go see a specialist, right? A a PTSD specialist, uh, somebody who does brain spotting, somebody who does EDMR, somebody who does, you know, an alcoholic uh, uh, specialist, addiction specialist of any kind. Okay. And what I found is that departments don't pay, the insurance companies don't pay for those individual therapists because it's not covered. So they have to pay out of pocket and imagine paying out of pocket a hundred in this area, it's probably between 150 to almost $220 a visit yeah. one hour. Right. Yeah. yeah. That, that becomes expensive for, <laughs> yeah. for a person that has a family, kids, wife, bills, day to day, all this stuff. So what I want to do uh, with better blue is pay for these sessions, at least initially three or four sessions for these officers to be able to go and not worry about paying out of pocket. Can they afford it? I want to be, I want to go to them and say, I got you better blue has you. Mm -hmm. And so then at some point, as I continue fundraising, as I continue you know, I need a grant writer. So Tony, if you got a good grant writer, we can, uh, <laughs> we can talk after this. Yeah, for sure. But that's how it came about. Is there a, um, a website or anything that if people want to go and, and get more information or donate or anything like that? For sure. It's a uh, better dash blue.org. And that's again, better B E T T E R dash blue.org. And there's a donation button in there. It talks about the whole what we do, how we do it, all that stuff. And then, yeah, and, and actually has all the podcasts that I do on there as well. So people can have kind of an idea of what policing is and everything that, you know, we talk about through, through law enforcement, just kind of that insight as well. Cool. Now you touched on it a couple of times about your own personal challenges. If you're comfortable, can you, can you share a little bit about uh, what you were going through? Sure. So, you know, and this is kind of a taboo subject and it's, it's really, it's it's tough to talk about because you got to so here's the thing so law enforcement breeds a lot of different cumulative traumas on top of that you have a person who has possible traumas in their life whether mm-hmm. and the thing the problem is with law enforcement they only look at the person that's in the uniform and what's gone on like what are you doing what's going on at work as opposed to the whole person, which is Tony, you have a childhood, you have traumas that happen through childhood. You have ways of responding through that. You have proper nurturing or not proper nurturing from primary caretakers mm-hmm. and all those things that led up to you becoming a law enforcement officer. Those are all still part of you. Those are all things that you, if you have never dealt with trauma before and you don't know how to deal with it, then you've conditioned and your brain has been wired to only do certain things. And I will say this. So for me, my struggles were, they call it intimacy disorder, which honestly, they they can even say it's a sex addiction. And part of this is that I didn't realize that this was even a real thing. I thought it was a bunch of BS when I first was even, I guess, diagnosed with that. And I didn't know about any of it. I didn't know about any of that until... I, I was going through a lot of the stuff that just kind of dark places. Right. And it was tough, man. 
it was a lot of deep diving into my childhood and realizing that a lot of this stuff stems from trauma that I've gone through, which is, you know, and I'm not trying to say like, this is, I'm not trying to blame this, but I'm trying to get, you always have to get to the origins of what is going on. Why are you the way that you are? Right. So when I was five years old, I was in El Salvador in a war-torn country and my mom, uh, my biological mother gave me up at two years old. And when she gave me up, you know, I was put in an orphanage and I was put in a Catholic orphanage. And so there's like, you know, however many orphan kids and during wartime. And so that those nuns couldn't properly nurture who I am or what, I, you know, I mean, you just can't. Right. And then five years old, I was actually adopted by an American family. My mother who had a sister came down and uh, she was doing work for the CIA at the time and I was found. And so that whole process. And then I came up here and, you know, when I came up here, I, you know, I have no clue. Like, obviously I didn't speak the language. I had to assimilate to a lot of things. And then my mother was also a police officer at the time. Uh, she was married to a secret service agent and he was very abusive. So physically abusive, emotionally abusive. So I saw a lot of that. I saw my mom get thrown around. I saw my mom getting shoved, you know, from the bathroom all the way through the hallway and hit up against the wall. And he, and he abused me as well. And so it was just a, it was, it was a tough road, right? Yeah. Like here you are with strangers, you have no clue. And then when they got divorced, thank God, when I was around nine years old, a 15 year old, 16 year old boy, uh, sexually abused me, mm. uh, continuously for about a year. And I had no clue, like, you know, so those things happened. And I say all that to say, those are things that spurred off into, uh, you know, my mom had no real way to properly nurture me because she couldn't even have the wherewithal to deal with her own issues yeah, and to deal with the problems that have surmounted with her. Yeah. And then when I got sexually abused, it was not only like, obviously you're nine years old. I mean, you don't know what's going on, but at the same time, you know, that something feels good, right? You know, that something about that feels good. And so if you look at addiction, addiction has nothing to do with like, it has some to do with genetics, but it has a lot to do with a lot of what I'm talking about. And with this, because, because your dopamine levels can be, I can go to those, I can go to that release of dopamine and that feel good dopamine level with masturbation and all these different things. And because it was so, it was introduced to me at such an early age. And then I couldn't feel safe with my primary caretaker as far as like being who I am, talking to her about things because she had a lot of stuff going on. She didn't really have room for any of that. Yeah. So they, they, they delve into what they call, you develop a false sense of self. It's almost like this, this dysregulation in the brain where you end up, you end up dealing with stuff that is not truly you, but you cope with these habits that are introduced. And so for me, it was, you know, these acting out things. And as I got older, I didn't realize how like every relationship I was ever in, the first thing that was always in my head was like, I was hypersexual with the women that I was with. And then I would get to know them. And mm -hmm. then once I got to know them, I didn't want to deal with them. Yeah. You know, I was like, Oh, uh, maybe we aren't compatible. Right. So there's a lot of realness to this. And I say this, I give that background because when, when I was going through my stuff, 
I self-reported a very minor admin thing to my department and my department turned my self-report into the problem. And so mm. my department, even though they had therapy letters, even though they had, like, I'm talking about people that are incredibly versed in the profession and their livelihood is based on what they do. They're not going to send a letter and put their name on something if they didn't truly feel that that's what it was. Like they're putting their stake on the line. Yeah. And my department told me at one point, oh, this looks like you're just trying to cover yourself. And <laughs> wow. So that was very, it was eye opening. That thin blue line kind of just was like, there, there's no blue line. It's a, it's a matter of, because, and so when I say this, I'm not trying to caveat or trying to umbrella everything in law enforcement, but just from my experiences. So there's guys and gals that I know in law enforcement through my career that have this addiction because I've seen it. Mm -hmm. I've heard it. You know, they throw swing lifestyle parties. They, you know, swap wives. They ask other officers if they can have them sleep with their wife or their girlfriend because I mean, that's a, th this is kind of a dark thing in law enforcement. I'm not saying it happens everywhere, but there's an old adage and, you know, there's a lot of people that know this. You can trust a cop. You can trust a cop with your life, but you cannot trust a cop with your wife. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, yeah, <laughs> like that's, that's a, that's a, that, that's a true thing. Yeah. Um, 100%. and I don't know why that is. And I think a lot of it has to come from, and when I, uh, started doing a lot of therapy work and doing deep dives and stuff like that. I talked to, a, I also talked to, and I interviewed a renowned addiction therapist, but he is also, you know, in sex addiction as well for the past 10 years. And he, most of his clients are military and a lot of first responders. Okay. And the reason he says he, he wants to, he, he surmises and theorizes that the reason that there's a lot in that community is because of the dysregulation of what happened when there's a lot of trauma that first responders have undergone in their early childhood life. And more than likely, the reason they got into first responding law enforcement is because, in a sense, they are protecting that little kid that's inside them that was either abused, uh, traumatized, whatever. And so, therefore, there's always this protector mentality. Yeah. And there's a lot of officers that I've talked to that have gone through similar, if not worse, type of situations that I have. And it, it, it exasperates in a culture of just machismo and, you know, a culture of like, you know, let's go to the strip club for, you know, decompressing. Let's go drink. Let's go do this. And a lot of officers cover up this whole aspect because they think that just because they're drinking, it's an alcohol problem, but they end up, you know, knee deep in some girl every night that mm -hmm. they drink. And it's like, no, dude, like you have, you have a problem. It's not, it, it's the ritual of what you do, the ritual of you drinking and then you're doing this. So, you know, that's a, that's, that's a long way. And I can go into that rabbit hole of like, you know, <laughs> the brain and, the, all that stuff, but I'm sure your listeners are like, oh my God, get this off, <laughs> get this guy off of here. <laughs> no, man, I, I appreciate you sharing that. I know it's, you know, it's not the most comfortable thing to share, but I think, you know, 
the things that we go through that aren't always positive are testimonies. And there are other people out there that, that may feel the same or going through something similar that needs to hear it. And, you know, maybe, you know, you can be this, this podcast could be that awakening for someone to reach out or something like that, you know? And, and, and that's why I, I ask you to share it, you know, as painful as it can be, but I want to lift it up a little bit here and I want to get into my next segment here, what I call dig deeper. Now, this is for all of you that okay. don't know. This is where I go into my, my guest social media and I start poking around and get nosy and I find different posts that they have and I come up with questions around those posts. And in Merritt's case, one of the things that I noticed about his profile is how much he really loves his daughter. So I came up, I picked out four posts and three of them have to do with pictures that your daughter were a part of. Okay. And the first one was a picture. I believe you recently posted this, but it was a picture of your daughter sleeping and the caption read, this is what peaceful looks like. You know which Mm -hmm. post I'm talking about? Okay. Oh yeah. My question inspired by that post, what brings you a peace of mind? Man, that's a great question. <laughs> you know, what brings me peace of mind is sports. Okay. Playing it. Uh, my happy place was when I was a young kid so- playing soccer. Like I could smell the grass, you know, on a Saturday morning. I could see kind of like if it was like a, if it was like a, nice cool day i could i can see the fall kind of like drifting away from like the playing field and you know seeing the lines of the field and then hearing kind of the cheers of like your parents and you know just hanging out with your friends that are on the team and just being in that kind of like mode of just being happy yeah. right like that's a peaceful place like you don't have to worry about anything you don't have to worry about bills you don't have to worry about people's perceptions of you you don't have to worry about to me a lot of those a lot of those problems just kind of drift away and i go back to that i go back to that happy place when i feel there's a lot of foreseen stress or or whatever it is because we can really get to a negative place if we want to. Mm-hmm. And I think it's needful to be in a peaceful state of mind, right? Like we need something to grab onto. Yeah. So that picture, when I took that, I was looking at my daughter and I was just like, man, like to be, to be that still and that innocent mm-hmm. and to just kind of have her like that, that image to me was like, I wish I could be like that all the time. (laughs) And so that's what peace looks like to me. That comment leads me into my next question. Are you at peace with yourself? Every day I'm getting a step closer, Tony. Okay. I think it can be a lifelong thing because I think one of the things that I am really trying to understand is that, you know, you can be complacent and complacency is a very, very debilitating thing. And we need to, I need to understand that struggle is necessary in order for me to get to a better place. Does Mm -hmm. that make sense? Yes, very much so. You can't be better if you don't struggle. If you are always in a state of, I'm fine, I'm good, or everything's always given to you, to me, that perpetuates something deeper that you're really not delving into. And I don't want to always feel, when I feel comfortable with what I'm doing and how I'm doing it, 
to me, I feel restless. I feel anxious about that because yeah. I want to be in a sense uncomfortable in order to do and I know like I have to challenge myself, mm-hmm. right? Like you're doing this podcast. You started doing this podcast and we talked about this off air. We sucked at doing a podcast <laughs> when we first got on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And we learn from other people. We challenge ourselves. You're an entrepreneur. You didn't go into business thinking like, oh, it's just going to be given to me. Right. You went into business because that's what you wanted to do. But you learned along the way. You learned what you could do, what you should do, and your strengths and weaknesses. And then you looked at your weaknesses more and you were like, I'm going to attack this with all my might. And you got better because of that struggle of knowing that's the weakness Right. And, and even in marriage, right. Even in marriage or relationships or even in fatherhood, like all these things, like to me, life is a journey of being better each and every day. And it sounds cliche. It sounds cheesy, but it's true. If you can't find something to be better at, whether it's attitude, behavior or action oriented stuff, if you can't find something to be better at on a daily basis, then you are complacent, you are probably not doing fine and you are in this stagnant state of mind. And to me, stagnate state of mind breeds death. Yeah. Really? Like you stagnate and die. Yeah. You know, it's like a wilting flower. Yeah. I totally agree with that, man. And if you are one of those people that have not faced adversity before, when it comes your way, you just totally crash because you don't know how to deal with it, you know? So, <laughs> so, you know, what don't kill us makes us stronger. That's definitely uh, a, a, a saying that is very, very true. So you have to have those bad moments to, in order to, to take steps forward in anything. No, you got to, you have to understand that there is deeper levels to things And if you can't understand that, then you can never dive deeper into your own self to realize even when you're in darkness, there's a reason why people go through darkness. You go through darkness in order to see the light, because if you were never in darkness, then you'll never be able to see that light. Mm -hmm. It won't be that bright. Yeah. Right. It won't be that bright. So therefore, that that guiding light that we have when we're in our dark place and what you said is incredibly true. Like, I can't say it enough adversity is a needed thing. Yeah. If you don't go through adversity, I'm not saying everybody's hunky dory, all this stuff like, okay, like maybe you haven't gone through adversity, but you're not a human being. If you haven't gone through adversity, <laughs> right. just even somebody rejecting you, right? Like, like, <laughs> right. like it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Good shit, man. That, that, that was, that was a good shit. I like that. I want to go on to the next, the next post. <laughs> this was another picture of your daughter. And she was wearing a better blue tank top. And the caption read, yes, it's a family thing. You recall that post? Oh, yeah. Okay. My, my question was, what does family mean for you? Oh, man. Family, I, you know, I can give you all these words. But truly, family means people that sacrifice themselves for the betterment of somebody else. Right? Mm-hmm. You have to be able, like, I take a look at my mom. My mom is a retired officer. She was almost chief of the department I was in. At the time when she adopted me, she was like maybe early 30s. She took, she sacrificed her life for me. 
Yeah. Right. To, to, in a sense, save me out of a, uh, out of a bleak situation. Mm-hmm. And to me, family doesn't have to be blood because we know a lot of people. We know a lot of men and women. You can have sex, you can be blood and you can have a child, but we know a lot of deadbeat dads out there. Yeah. <laughs> we know a lot of people Unfortunately. that don't take care of their own. Yeah. Right. So my my point is family has nothing to do with bloodlines in my mind. Family has everything to do with what you do to sacrifice for somebody else and also what they do to sacrifice for you. And it's a it's a symbiotic relationship and it's just that's just what it is. Mm-hmm. So Whatever that is, time, money, emotion, support in any way, all these different things. When we find ourselves doing these things, we consider others, or at least I do, consider people when I invite them into my life because of all the sacrifice that I provide, I consider them family. Yeah, yeah. And so when I look at my daughter, you know what I mean? Like, Tony, I'll, I'll... I'll run through hellfire. I'll get shot a thousand times. I'll stand in front of a train. I'll get burned by whatever it is. I will do anything I can to protect that little girl. Mm -hmm. And that right there, like is just the exemplification of what I'm talking about. Sacrifice. I will sacrifice. I will live in a box. I will live in a, I will live in a ditch in order for my daughter to be able to, flourish financially emotionally spiritually like whatever i have to do for her i will do it and as a parent that's what we're supposed to do you know um i want to go into another another post of of your daughter and this was a picture of you holding her and you were holding a a a and b honor roll certificate in your hand and you and the caption read my daughter works hard at school and i'm so proud of her her hard work kindergartner or not the foundation for discipline to achieve in school and life starts in the early years. Keep the AB honor roll rolling. You recall that post? I do. Okay. And my, my question to you is what was 15 year old merit like? 15 <laughs> year old merit was man. That dude was uh, filled with uh, piss and vinegar. And uh, <laughs> you couldn't tell him, you, you couldn't tell him shit because he knew everything. <laughs> he was a baller. He was a footballer, basketballer, baseballer, you know, just this stupid kid that just realized nothing, everything surrounded, everything was about him. And, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be some professional athlete school. What school? What are you talking about? <laughs> school? Like I'm going to be like, I'm going to do Like my athletics is going to get me where I need to be. Yeah, man. That was that 15 year old kid, man. Yeah. Just if, stupid. If Just you could really go, dumb. he sounds like the typical 15 year old though. That's, that's the thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, if you could go back and talk to that 15 year old Merritt, what would you tell him? Mm, stop being a dumbass. What does that look like? really understand people are here to help you and they're reaching out to you because they want to see you succeed. Stop taking everything in a cynical standpoint. Stop looking at things from a negative standpoint that when people are wanting to be there for you, it's genuine 
Stop thinking that it's not genuine. And then also, as, a, as that post even uh, alluded to, which was, you know, education, this, this sports stuff is nothing. You mm-hmm. need to be on your P's and Q's. You need, to, you need to be about this education. You need to be about going to class, studying, getting on top of these things. Stop worrying about girls. Stop worrying about all these different things that are detractors of what's going to be really effective in, in your life later on. Man, if I could take that kid and just kind of just smack him around a little bit and, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> mentor him. And, and I, I wish I could do that. But that's why when I look at my daughter and that post was there, it's not me, man. It's my wife. My wife is a, it, she's a beast when it comes to all that. She's the one that is on top of her. And I follow suit, right? Like yeah. I follow suit with helping her homework. I follow suit. But, but I find joy in it now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I find joy in that because it's like, you know, and that's truly it. The foundation is is now for her and yeah. that's going to set her for success in life. And I didn't have that. You know, I didn't have that foundation. You know, I didn't know at her age, pff, bro, I was watching tanks roll down the street. I was looking at <laughs> wow. a bunch of kids in the neighborhood, a bunch of kids in an orphanage screaming and yelling. You know, I was watching nuns smacking rulers on kids' hands. I was, you know, I was dealing with, you know, trying to figure out, am I eating today? Because do they have enough food to where we can sit there and just have something in my stomach? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I was figuring out. I wasn't worried about education. I was worried about survival, you know? So my, yeah. my, my daughter, you know, she's got, she's got every opportunity in the world to be able to be a success. And there's no excuses, and that's why the foundation and that picture was posted because it is now. Yeah, every every parent's goal for their child should be to help that child go further than they went. I want to go to the next segment here, and this is what I call the random seven. Okay, and these are just san- seven okay. totally just random, gener- automatic generated questions. Okay, and I don't know what they are until they pop up. Okay, so the first the first question is. What's your favorite movie and why? <laughs> Gladiator. That's easy. Okay. <laughs> Gladiator is my favorite movie. Yeah. That's easy because that that you know that whole movie talks about a warrior mindset and also just kind of like a lot of integrity but also just the strength that it takes to overcome adversity. Okay. You know to be on top like he was in that movie and to be within the inner circle and then all of a sudden to be uh in a sense excommunicated from that and then his family got killed and then he's got to be you know in that movie he was a slave and then slave turned into this powerful individual that affected change within that republic at the time the roman republic you know that's just a microcosm a small snippet of what i think a lot of people go through and, and what they achieve in their own life and it just goes it just goes to show that a warrior mindset doesn't have to be this like fighting battle uh, and knowing how to shoot guns or swing swords or punch or do any of that stuff. But a warrior mindset is also resilience in how you deal with adversity and how and how you get out of that dark place. Facts. How do you deal with that? Facts. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Good shit, man. Good shit. The next question. What is your guilty pleasure? My guilty pleasure. Oh, my God. There's so many. So if it were 
like, okay, so I'll give you a couple of categories. So this is going to sound so ridiculous, but I used to watch this thing called, uh, and my wife used to be like, why do you watch this crap? And it was this show called Black Ink Crew. Okay. <laughs> and okay. It was about, it was a, it, it was like mindless TV. It was on VH1 and it was about this tattoo shop in the Bronx. And they were just like, that's what it was. It was reality TV, but it was so, <laughs> it was so bootleg, Tony. <laughs> it just like, I just, I just was like, what am I watching? Man? This is just ratchet people doing stupid stuff. Uh, but I, but I couldn't take my eyes off of it. I'm, I'm I'm laughing because my wife and I are doing that right now. We're we're watching 90 Day Journey, and and we just sit there and we're like, how can there be that many stupid ass people around? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and 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 what it's, it's a reality exactly. show. It's a reality show about single people who find all these people from different countries, and they have to marry them within 90 days. <laughs> <You know>? mm. <laughs> It's crazy, man. <laughs> so that was a guilty pleasure when it co- when it comes to like uh, drinking. I mean, my only guilty pleasure really is like you know, I love some wine, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a big Pinot Noir guy. I love Pinot Noir, so you know, I may have a couple of glasses. I, I and this is no, this is not a drinking problem. I may. Like sometimes we may finish a bottle. When I say we, like yeah. anybody, my coach and I go and hang out. We'll have a, you know, we'll have some. But yeah, man, that's a guilty pleasure. All right. The the next question. Have we become less happy in this age of technology? That's a resounding yes. Yeah. I'm going to tell you why. So me and you were born in an age where there was not all of this technology and instant gratification. Mm-hmm. But we were we lived through where all of that was developed and we still we use it now, right? Everybody's got an iPhone, smartphone. We're you we're on here. We're on Zoom. I mean, we're on this face-to-face interactive thing, this computer. We can touch, we can do all these things. But me and you also know like this old school way when I got into the school system, I see these kids and I didn't even have to get into the school system, but I saw it when I was in the police department. Mm-hmm. We see these young people who that's all they know. Yeah. And they are very, they have no, like everything is a screen in front of them. And I will literally say, Hey, how's it going? And they walk past and they don't say a word. Yeah. Right. Right if me and you did that to each other and our parents or other like uh, authority figures were around, they would have snatched our little ass up and they would have been like, what are you doing? Right. Right. Like I think today's day and age, I think by numbers, if you look at numbers, statistically depression, anxiety, ADHD, ADD, all these different things that are being diagnosed in kids in this generation Mm -hmm. is exponentially that much greater than it ever has been in the history of the world. 100%. Yeah. Do you think that's a coincidence? <laughs> of course not. Right. Yeah. It's, it's There's crazy. no coincidence there. There's a. No, no, no. It's, it's, I was just going to say it's crazy because I have another podcast that I do called Social Stupidity. And as much I, I love technology, 
But I, I think that technology, when it, especially social media, when it first came about, I feel like it, it had a, it had a good purpose. But like everything else that we put our hands on, we figure out how to ruin it because of money. And I think that once politicians, the media, corporations, governments, all of these different entities realize that they could use this technology to manipulate and and transform people and mold people to think a certain way and make money doing it, that that was the end and it's getting worse, mm. you know? And I think that's a large reason why we have the division in the world that we have. I think that's a large reason why you have so many people and, 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 I, and just real quick, I want to share a quick story. I've, and I've told this before on the podcast, but this, this just kind of lays out exactly what I'm talking about. There was a young lady that I used to, well, she wasn't a young lady, but there was a lady that I worked with back during the whole Trayvon Martin incident. And she posted a, a picture on Facebook of uh, the rapper, the game. And she says, this is the real Trayvon Martin that the media doesn't want you to see. So me being me, I had to comment and say, that's not Trayvon Martin. That's the rapper of the game. And she says, no, you don't know what you're talking about. This is Trayvon Martin. He's not this innocent little kid that the media is making him out to be. He has all these tattoos and this, and he's a gang member. And at that point, I realized I was talking to a dumbass, and I ceased the conversation. But what I realized is that when you go back and you look at her profile, the algorithm had gotten her. She had this mindset of, of certain things, and the more she fed into it and, and, and started to visit all these websites and all that stuff, the more the algorithm gave her more of what she was looking for. And a lot of the shit was just false information. But unfortunately, as bright and as intelligent as she was, she couldn't separate that this shit is not real, you know? And I think that's that's the problem that we have with technology technology today. I mean, we like everything we else we 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 ruin the shit, you know? And I completely agree. I'll tell you I'll tell you one of the things that I've stopped doing is really watching any type of news and some of the news that I even get through my feed on Instagram. You know, I just kind of I, I watch it, but it doesn't like fulfill it doesn't it doesn't feed my news binging. Yeah. Cause I, to me, to me, like you said, there's a, there's an algorithm that feeds you what it is that you want. And then there's also the aspect of the individual where if they want to think a certain way, then they're going to go to that deep dive of whatever that is. And yeah, we are being conditioned. People are being conditioned into one camp or the other. And we are not effectively critically thinking to the point where we can just have a critical, honest conversation about race, about politics, about, about anything, you know, about anything, right? And everything has to go to this one one caveat of one of those boxes. And it never used to be that way. And to be honest, I completely agree. There's a there's a movement of, you know, I I look at it as we are dumbing down society and we are being manipulated to be automatons and we are becoming the fictional movie 
that was put out years ago, but it's called Idiocracy. Mm-hmm. And it's a fictional movie, but we are living in that. We are living in an idiocracy. Yeah. And the only time. people that are benefiting from this, the only people that are benefiting from this are the leaders and the people in power, the tech moguls, uh, big business. And they figured out we can condition these people to be sheep and they can baha whenever they want. Uh, but we'll tell them when and how to do it. And yeah. that's to me scary as shit. Yeah, I agree, man. I agree. Um, next question. If you could sing a duet with anyone, who would it be? <laughs> oh man. Duet I, with anybody. Who would it be? That's a good question. Cause the first one that came to mind was, um, what's the, she, her voice. She sang with, um, old school, man. Uh, something marie what's her first oh, name tina marie you you tina marie yeah <laughs> tina marie okay good lord yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I would sing it with her yeah good choice good choice uh the next question do you prefer fancy restaurants or local dives local dives baby i hear you i hear you <laughs> all day long <laughs> uh two more here if you could undo one moment in your life, what would it be? If I could do one thing in my life, what if would you it could be? undo, undo, I'll be honest with you, man. Nothing, because I wouldn't be the band that I am today. I wouldn't be the uh, the the person I am today with anything if I undid it. You know, yeah. and like I said, you know, I, I can't go back and what ifs this and and all that because for me everything is ordained the way it needs to be. And however I'm moving forward, I can't worry about what tomorrow brings. I got to worry about what today brings because evil is sufficient for the, for the day thereof. Mm-hmm. And that's all I, that's all I got to concentrate on, man. And I can't go about my life thinking if I could undo that, then this would happen. And if I did this, yeah. then that would happen. No, nah, man, everything happened the way it needed to be. This is the domino, man. This is where I'm at. This is where I need to be right here with you, with the, all the struggles and all the pain that I've gone through. I hear you, man. I hear you. Uh, last question. If you could know the truth behind any one secret or mystery, what would it be? i tell you what mine would be. Mine would be who killed Jimmy Hoffa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, I got it. I got it. I got it. I, you know what mine would be? Mine would be are we really alone as a species? Okay. What, like, that's what I would be because we have now seen evidences, even declassified information from the Navy and Air Force about extraterrestrial, uh, unidentified flying objects. Mm -hmm. And, this whole thing, I don't know if you've ever watched it on uh, Netflix. It's called uh, something about Bob Lazar. Bob Lazar used to work at, uh, I want to say, what they dubbed now as Area 51. Okay. But he talks about a lot of this stuff. And he described what we are now seeing back then. And to be honest with you, not to get crazy on you, but I just, that's what I would want to know. I would want to know why are we keeping these things, quote unquote, a secret when. Yeah. You know what? Like we may not be able to handle it to an extent, but I mm-hmm. think we, I think we would uh, yeah. as a species. Yeah. That's what I would want. That's good that's answer. I, I like that. 
I like that. All right, man, let's move on to the last segment here. I used to call this this or that, but I'm going to switch it up today and I'm going to change it to would you rather? Okay, so <laughs> the, the, the first question, would you rather have a famous parent or a famous significant other? Famous parent. Okay. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I, I agree. I think the significant other would be being a man. I think my ego would get in the way. <laughs> well being me being yeah. me i'd be like damn well, who's it you got friends you got- <laughs> uh the next oh. question the next question would you rather wrap everything you eat in bacon or slaughter it in butter or slatter it in but with butter Come on, man. That's an easy one. <laughs> Everything tastes better with bacon. Facts. Facts. <laughs> All right, the, the next one. Would you rather carry a doll around and pretend it's real or talk to yourself out loud in front of other people? <laughs> I'd rather talk to myself out loud in front of other people because I've probably done that at some point in time. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think that uh, they may think you're a little crazy talking to yourself, but talking to a doll, they're, they're definitely gonna call you crazy. Oh, <laughs> uh, they're gonna put me in a they're gonna put me in a in a rubber room with uh, the stray jacket, and that's some serial killer type shit right there. Right, right. <laughs> uh, three more here. Would you rather your eyes have night vision capabilities or your ears have sonar capabilities? Sonar. Okay. Sonar. For real. Yeah. Yep. Okay. If I could see during the day and if I still had a little bit of vision at night, man, imagine, imagine hearing shit from like all over. You know yeah. what I mean? It'd probably be. Yeah. You, probably oh, man. Be you imagine yourself, the shit but... you would pick up. <laughs> 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 ah, Tony's at it again in Michigan. I got to go over there. <laughs> yeah. No shit. Uh, next question. Would you rather creep everyone out you meet? Or be creeped out by everyone you meet. I'd rather do the creeping out. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's probably a, that's probably a, that's probably a control thing, right? Like I don't want other people <laughs> to creep me out. I want to creep other people. Right. Uh, the last one, Merritt. Would you rather be rebuilt as part machine or part animal if you had a devastating accident? Part machine. For for real. Yeah. For real. Yeah, I agree. I, Merit, I mean, people are already doing that. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. Merritt, man, listen, I, this was a blast, man. I enjoyed having you come on and kick it with me and talk to me. Guys, please, like I said, go over and check out Brownie and Blue. Do me a favor. Go ahead and share your, your social media, anything that you need to promote. Let everybody know where they can reach out and contact you at. And also, don't forget, if you can also go to uh heroespodcastnetwork.com you can check out not only my show you can check out Merritt's show and all the other shows that are now part of the network Merritt go ahead give out your IG handle and any other things that you want to share and I'm going to put links to everything down in the show notes so you guys can go over and and check this man out and see what he's doing sure Uh, so brownie b-r-o-w-n-i-e n-i-n blue is my handle on Instagram uh, it's also the name of the podcast that I do, Brownie and Blue podcast. Uh, also on Instagram is Better Blue, which is just Better Blue Org. And those 
two are connected. So if you find me in one, you're going to find me on the other. And also I have better blue as also a LinkedIn page, uh, just to promote that to first responders also for health and wellness. And then lastly, you know, I am on Facebook with better blue. It's just, I haven't really used Facebook that much, but the best place to get in touch with me, if anybody wants to talk, if anybody needs uh, any type of like uh, advice or references for doctors or even anything that deals with mental health or groups or nonprofit organizations, uh, please reach out not only to Tony, but reach out to Better Blue. Uh, and again, that website for Better Blue is better-blue.org. And uh, just go on there, just read it. If you like it, please join us every Thursday at 7 p.m. And it, I think it'll make a world of difference for somebody who's struggling. That's great. Well, man, once again, I, I, I appreciate you coming on and taking the time um, to talk to me. Guys, listen, I always appreciate you guys listening to the podcast. That's why I do this. Like I say, this is a different type of law enforcement podcast. And I see that you guys are starting to enjoy it because the subscribes and the follows and everything are starting to go up. And if there's any suggestions that you guys have, you know, feel free to reach out to me on at Tony at the off duty podcast.com or on all of my social media and send me suggestions or anything. You guys had recommended that I started doing video. So now I, I have them recorded. I just have to put them out. I just got so many things going on with the podcast itself, the network and everything. And, you know, I still got a wife to take care of here and, and all that stuff. But on that note, I appreciate you guys. Once again, merit, man, you stay safe. Keep taking care of that little girl. You guys, I'll see you all on the next episode. I'm out. Y'all be good. Bye. <laughs>